The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Because if you want to make friends, I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Can we really just move on to the next thing that quickly? We take a gigantic step in the direction of removing the North Korean nuclear menace, and the market just shrugs, Dow dipping two points, S&P advancing 0.17%, NASDAQ getting a little jiggy up 0.57%. You know what? It makes perfect sense. You see, you can't process the stock market implications of the North Korean disarmament talks because there may be no implications at all. Maybe all of this diplomacy ends up going nowhere. At most, you end up needing to sell a couple of defense stocks that will be bought back in a few days. That's the way this market works. Why is this? Because while North Korea may have big weapons, it's a small country. Even if North Korea denuclearizes and releases everyone in their gulags and even turns into democracy, it really wouldn't matter much to the stock market. Other than its nuclear program, the North Korean economy is barely out of the Stone Age. Obviously, no leader, not even one as unusual as Kim Jong-un, goes into talks with the most powerful nation on Earth in order to dismantle its country. But hey, anything's possible. Gorbachev sure didn't expect the Soviet Union to collapse, allowing Central and Eastern Europe to join the free world. But that's kind of an odd analogy. Sure, North Korea, like the old East Germany, is a client state. It's basically a puppet of the Chinese. If China wants the Kim family gone, poof, they're gone. But that's where the similarity ends. As far as the stock market is concerned, it doesn't really matter if North Korea keeps its nukes or gives them up or gets a new regime. North Korea is not Soviet Eastern Europe. It has a tiny population, 25 million people, and it doesn't have much of an industrial base. Plus, any spoils here will likely go to South Korean companies like Kia, uh, Samsung, uh, LG, uh, Hyundai. To the extent North Korea matters to the market, it's only in the context of the Chinese trade negotiations, as in how much did China do to make this happen? I got to say, I think the guys who run China are fooling themselves if they think this will earn them major trade concessions. At this point, all they can hope for is that their maneuvering with North Korea may help soften the coming blows. 
Remember, the Trump administration makes policy by pitting the president's advisors against each other. But with my friend Larry Kudlow laid up in the hospital, that allows the very protectionist Peter Navarro to fill the vacuum. I hope Larry has a speedy recovery. Uh, but from the stock market's perspective, the bulls just lost a major bulwark against the hardliners, at least for the moment. The bulls did. Look, I always wear two hats on this issue. As a citizen, I think China's gotten away with way too much. The PRC doesn't play fair on trade. It targets U.S. industries and wipes them out by subsidizing its own domestic producers, mostly as a job creations program. So believe me, I understand the desire to crack down on China. And by the way, just, you know, I articulated that very position when Larry and I were partners in Kudlow and Kramer. It's been my view for more than two decades. At the same time, though, I know as an investor that if we want a higher stock market, then this administration needs to play nice with the Chinese. Maybe the president can somehow stop Congress from shutting off American supplies to ZTE, the big Chinese cell phone company that will die without U.S.-made parts. And obviously, these North Korean talks will have an impact on our trade negotiations with China. So I'm not saying there are no implications at all. Like I said earlier, the defense stocks were all down as if peace were breaking out around the globe. How quickly we forgot the G7 blow up last week and how Trump wants all these nations to start poning up for their own defense. I'd be a buyer of every one of these defense stocks that were down today. Every one they're being given away. Bye, bye, bye. Still, from an economic perspective, this North Korea stuff is, is close to being a non-event. What does the market focus on? What will we be talking about tomorrow? Because we sure don't care about what happened today by this point. Well, first, we focus on the Fed. We know from the red-hot labor report two weeks ago that the economy is strong. Employment is amazing. We got a consumer price index this morning that was basically in line. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, no one talks about this, drives me crazy. Here's just one to focus on. It came out with an incredible number today. Do you know that real average hourly earnings increased by just 0.1% in May in this country? That may sound terrible if you work for a living, as most people do. But it's great for the stock market because it means that the Fed doesn't need to worry about inflation. My favorite employment gauge, the stock of automatic data processing, hit an all-time high day. It was up more than five bucks. Monster. These are all indications, uh, in- indicators that, that, that give the Fed a chance to raise rates, but not lockstep, not in a straight line, as there simply isn't enough inflation to justify slamming on the brakes and sending the economy through the windshield. <laughs> no wonder why the bank stocks were so weak. They need rate hugs lockstep. They're not going to get it. Second focus, oh, my, the huge win this very evening by ATT against the U.S. government when a judge said it could buy Time Warner with no strings attached. I thought that there were going to be some strings attached. I thought the government made, made a better case than this. Now, this is a full bore shutdown of the government's attempt to block this acquisition. Not only will this ruling mean this huge deal will close and you'll see Time Warner up big tomorrow. It also means that many similar deals in a host of industries like Cigna trying to buy Express Scripts will also probably be greenlighted if justice tries to stop them. It also means that Comcast, parent company of this network, will most likely launch its bid for Fox assets at once and doesn't want Disney to get. Hence why Comcast stock was trading down in after hours and the stock of Fox was sore. And Disney stock was getting hurt, too. This decision is important enough and so pro-merger, frankly, that I think you're going to help a whole host of injuries that are industries that are thinking of consolidating. It's a huge positive for tomorrow's market. Meanwhile, we got more price target boosts today. Remember I telling you they're having a major impact? J.P. Morgan published a smart piece on Twitter uh, uh, boosting the price target thanks to the strength in online advertising. Stock surges 5%. While the S&P 500 was ho-hum, we got a remarkable rotation back into the NASDAQ. Also, for the past few days, we've been enjoying what I call a 
PepsiCo rally. That's right, PEP. This is a move into the consumer packaged goods companies that are increasing their social media exposure. PepsiCo is emblematic. We own this one from my charitable trust. You can follow along at actionwordsplus.com. Listen to my conference call tomorrow at 1130 about this move. In fact, I think PepsiCo has become the cheapest of the entire consumer packaged goods sector. In other words, cheapest stock in the supermarket. However, at the same time, the group does seem like it's running out of steam. I wish the money were going toward the financials, but the banks benefit from rate hikes. And as I just said, we're probably not going to get that many, maybe one less than people think. Instead, the money's flowing into tech. And I got some good news here. It's not just flowing into FANG. We saw major moves in the Cloud Kings today. Don't forget that Adobe reports Thursday, and I do expect a blowout. We got big money headed into PayPal, the payment processor, which I bet will be a huge winner from legalized online gambling. That, people, is how people are going to gamble with PayPal. You have to take note of the incredible action in the omni-channel aiders and abettors, and I'm talking there about FedEx more on that later, boosted its dividend big, UPS, and the irrepressible XPO logistics. Brad Jacobs, monstro. And we got some spectacular reports from three major retailers, Restoration Hardware, Dave & Buster's, and Urban Outfitters. I'll have more to say about RH, Restoration, but the other two are, are all about a strong consumer, something I keep harping on to you. We've got full employment. This strength should not come as a surprise to anyone. In full employment, the best stocks to buy are the retailers. Here's the bottom line. The Korean Peninsula has gotten more ink than at any time since 2006, when Kim Jong-un's dad tested his first nuke. But headlines don't determine stock prices. Earnings and the Fed do. And on some days, the courts as well. Diplomacy is exciting, but it's not always relevant to the stock market. Andrew, my home state of New Jersey. Andrew! Hey, Jim. How are you doing? I'm having a real good day. How about you? Me, too. I've been working on your show for about four months now, and I've learned just so much just from your show alone. And with this merger with AT&T and Time Warner and the T-Mobile and Sprint merger, I bought T-Mobile about, like, two weeks ago. I was wondering if it was a good buy and a good investment. Okay, remember, that's this, that's a horizontal merger. This is just, no, look, let, let's put it this way. That's a merger that will be different, will be, uh, let's say, scrutinized in a different way, probably tougher. I asked Mr. Del Rahim, who is the head of antitrust, whether he would look at it. Obviously, he couldn't tell me everything, but it certainly was an indicator. But you bought the right one. That's the one you want because that can go up on earnings if it walks away. And by the way, John Leisure, I did not steal the toaster oven. I was just joking around my Twitter feed. Let's go to Dave in California. Dave. Hi, Jim. Dave calling from sunny San Francisco. Oh, man. We wanted to get out there so badly, but these executives are so busy taking their kids on vacation. What's up? It's a real problem. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I built up about a half position in Vantive Payments and now WorldPay uh, following the acquisition. Yes. It's been trading relatively sideways in recent months. Uh, after today, it's up about uh, 5% for my cost basis. I'm wondering, should I build out my position right here? I love that stock. I, I think it's terrific. But you know, I like the payments processors more than everyone. I, I do. I'm, I, you know, I think MasterCard's great. I think Visa's great. I'm really thinking American Express is good. I think that PayPal's great. I think that WorldPay's great. And I think that GPN, Global Payments, all good. Uh, if you want to buy more, that's fine. I won't. I'm not against it. Let's go to Tim in New York. Tim! Hi, Jim. How are you doing today? Uh, it's just a fine day. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I had a steak last night, so I guess I have to have chicken tonight. I'm try- already thinking about what I'm going to have to eat, you know. All about balance. It, uh, first, it's about I'm portion control. Personally, 
I'm glad I got the chance to personally thank you for helping me develop a proper investing discipline and making oh, a boatload of money over the last and few I years. And I should have thank thanked you. the previous guy, too. I got people saying nice things about me, which will make me feel a lot better when I go home tonight. Hey, my question today is um, with the Russell rebalancing coming up on Friday and the following Friday, is this an investable event or an event that we should avoid? Okay. Uh, I have made a study of exactly what you're talking about. And the answer is this. It is unknowable. And anyone who tells you it's knowable, I have to tell you, that guy can pound sand because he or she is making it up. We buy high-quality companies and we own them and we keep them. There. All right. On to the next. Sure seems that way, doesn't it? Headlines don't determine stock prices. Earnings do. And maybe the Fed and, of course, the courts. Hey, can you uh, rest easy with RH Restoration Hardware? I'm breaking down the action behind today's more than 30% glorious move that we predicted in last Friday's game plan. Then, Cisco seems to be marking time. I think we did. Cisco seems to be marking time, but after its remarkable run last year, is there still money to be made? I'm talking with the CEO. And worried some stocks might be overextended? I'm eyeing some sectors that still have a chance to play catch-up in this market. Don't miss my take when we go off the charts. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. What kind of maniacs are paying up 36 bucks for the stock of RH, or Restoration Hardware, after it blew away the numbers last night? How about desperate short sellers who need to buy stock to close their positions and are eager to finish their disastrous trade at any price? How about the bulls who failed to buy Tiffany and Ralph Lauren after their beaten raised quarters as both stocks have discontinued to climb. In an era of full employment, lower taxes, and a flush consumer, what else do you expect? Of course the numbers are good for retailers. Yet the quarter RH reported last night was without parallel. The results don't tell the full story, but they were stunning. Wall Street was looking for a buck two. okay? They got buck 33. They were expecting buck 51 for next quarter. They got a forecast of a buck 70 to buck 77. At the same time, management raised their full year guidance pretty dramatically, too. When the numbers are that much better than expected, you better believe that buyers are going to swarm out of the woodwork to take this one higher. And it stands to reason that Restoration Hardware will give you bigger gains than we saw from Tiffany or Ralph Lauren, which gave you fantastic beats with improving gross margins. But RH also had a huge short position. And that short position really helps explain much of this move. Now, of these three, Tiffany's 23% jump is actually the most surprising because it had a very small short position going into the quarter. Plus, this move should have been gettable. We knew the dollar had gotten weaker. That's helping its Manhattan flagship store because of travel. Uh, it was also much easier to reach this year, the store itself, because the president spent a lot less time next door at Trump Tower. Ralph Lauren's stock with a 12% short position was hard to figure out because it really involved the CEO executing very well, and it wasn't that visible because he was closing stores that weren't delivering strong sales. That stock jumped more than 14%. But RH up 31% today, breathless, a perfect, perfectly crafted 
short squeeze. The shorts controlled 35% of the float here, although some of this was against a convertible bond that the company sold several years ago. You have to hand it to Gary Friedman, the CEO, who will be visiting us here tomorrow night. Not only did he buy 32,918 shares of Restoration Hardware for himself, open market, 2759, a cold shot at the ever were one, but he used two-thirds of the money raised by that convert that he issued when the stock was at about 100 bucks to buy back a huge number of shares when the stock was in the low double digits. That allowed Restoration Hardware to shrink its share count from $40 million down to $21.6 million. What were these shorts thinking? All I can say is heaven help the shorts who aren't protected by the convert. Because between index funds and Gary himself, long-term holders own about 34% of the float. None of them's going to be a seller, right? To be completely honest, though, you really had to be an idiot, dumb as a bag of hammers to sell this one short, even dumber than shorting online furniture Wonderkin Wayfair. We knew restoration sales had really only been soft going in uh, because of the hurricanes in Texas and Florida, as well as the weakness in oil prices, as the company gets a lot of its sales from the Lone Star State. So it stands to reason that Texas and Florida would come back strong now that those issues are in the past. Plus, the last quarter showed us that restoration's controversial switch to a membership model, which had been viewed with such skepticism, was actually a total hit. Do you know that 95% of their core business comes from members? Finally, Gary's decision to focus on profits, not just revenue growth, but profits, was already starting to pay off. We knew all this going into the quarter last night, which brings us to today, where the stock surged so far, so fast, that there was no time for sellers to materialize. I watched the stock go up last night, 15, 60, 70, 20, 22, and I knew it was going higher. Uh, the shorts were just getting annihilated. And they wanted out no matter how much they had to pay to do so. Remember, out means buy to close. But once the short squeeze ends, I got some interesting news for you. Do you know why I think that RH could still have more upside? If it follows the pattern of Ralph Lauren and Tiffany, it makes sense to buy it even after today's enormous move. You know me. I hate chasing. But the near-term history in trading these skyrocketing retailers dictates that they aren't over after the first day, no matter how high they go. We got a Pamplona-style running of the bulls going on right now in retail. And the shorts, they're just being trampled day after day after day. Let's go to Nate in Ohio. Nate! Booyah, Jim from Cincinnati. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, yeah. What's up? I'm a young 18-year-old investor, which, by the way, love your books, especially Get Rich Carefully. Oh, but thank you. My question you. is about this new company that IPO'd in November called Evoqua, ticker symbol Aqua. What do you make of it after hitting record highs in March and since then having a big pullback? Is this a good buying point as it could be a breakout in the future? You know, we do, yes, we happen to love this company. We Look, we love everything involving water and water control. It is absolutely the way of the future, and I think you have a winner there. I think you have a definite winner. Let's go to Tom in New York. Tom. Hi, Jim. How are you doing? I am doing well, Tom. How about you? Good, good. A big bubble of booyah from Buffalo, New York. Okay, good to have you on the show. What's going on? My question is about McDonald's, MCD. Yeah, sure, I'm all up on that. Okay, I bought 325 shares at 171 on a mistake. I was screening the stock and I executed the trade. I believe it was having problems getting through the 165 range. And the last two days, it stayed above 165. So I'm uh, thinking that it's established a new low at 165 to 166 range. Now, my question is, I ended up owning half of it on margin and buying it at 171. 
Should I take uh, my losses Okay, I now? don't like margin. I just don't like people. I just don't want you to buy on margin. I think it's dead wrong. I really like McDonald's stock. I thought that Carl's uh, reporting with Steve Easter book was just terrific. I know that the layoffs they're making is going to streamline the company, but you got to sell it. You got to sell what's on margin. You just can't call into Kramerica and get another answer. Let's go to Patrick and Marilyn. Patrick. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Thanks for taking my call. No problem. I'm actually I'm actually calling about Huya, symbol H-U-Y-A. They IPO'd a little over a month ago and are over 100% on their initial price offer. And uh, they're considered the Twitch of China. If you don't remember, Amazon paid about a billion dollars right, to acquire right. them. So my question is, do you see this industry of live video game streaming well, look, I, mean, I think it's Tencent that's the one that you really want, and that doesn't trade. I understand. Look, I've been, you know what? Look, I've been adamant that Alibaba is the one to own, then secondarily Baidu in China. Those have been spectacular. I do not need to go down the food chain and end up hurting people. I reiterate that Alibaba is terrific right here. All right, what a beauty. Restoration hardware rocking more than 30% today. I think it's just the beginning. I think there's more ahead, believe it or not. I mean, it's just like there's more ahead in the show. Yes, with the Dow Jones average up roughly 1,800 points since the middle of March, are there still some buying opportunities to be had? I'm going up the charts to find out. And the doctor will see you now online, a company trying to change the way you visit the clinic. The stock's up more than 70% over the past year. It's the story behind this revolutionary technology in good health itself. I'm going to give you some answers. But first, one thing you definitely can't miss, the CEO of Cisco joins me to talk about acquisitions, cybersecurity, Internet of Things, and a whole lot more just ahead. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Sometimes I wonder whether people are inured to how fabulous the numbers are. Having been through some hard times, we should be very grateful. These are good times. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. All right, not everything's been roaring of late. In fact, some high-quality stocks I really like have been marking some time. Take Cisco, the big networking company that's become a major player in online security and the Internet of Things. After a remarkable run last year, Cisco's up more than 40% over the last 12 months. The stock has stalled in the low to mid-40s for several months here. Now, some of that is just consolidation as investors try to digest their earlier gains. But there's something else going on, too. When Cisco reported about a month ago, the company delivered some solid results. I liked it, the modest top and bottom line beat, inline guidance, but the stock got dignity in response and the darn thing's been struggling to get traction ever since. So is this merely a temporary pause on the road to higher prices? This week, Cisco is holding a big event for its customers and partners, Cisco Live US, where they've made some big announcements, like an expanded partnership with Google Cloud, a lot of it on it in the uh, documents. Uh, could this ignite the next leg up? Let's take a closer look with Chuck Robbins, the chairman and CEO of Cisco Systems, get a better sense of how the company's doing, where it's headed, Mr. Robbins. Welcome back to Man Buddy. Hey, Jim. It's great to be here. It's good to see you. I hope you've been well. Oh, same, same. I hope same for you. 
Let's go right Everything's to it. Everything's great. Our Warriors won the uh, NBA championship. Well, that's very, yes, that's right. I saw you knocking Cleveland in one of your presentations, and I could have knocked Atlanta because you can't <laughs> sign JJ. But let's go right to it. You got 30,000 people attending, all right? I want to know what you announce yeah. and what you're hearing because you got all your customers and partners out there. Yeah, you know, Jim, what we talked about is really uh, the continuation of our journey right now to help our co- customers actually build their future network infrastructure that allows them to deal with this multiple cloud environment that they deal in. We call it multi-cloud. And uh, we announced a level of automation and analytics that has machine learning and all of the great technologies. We announced that today to help our customers continue to automate, take the cost out of their infrastructure, as well as things like the Google partnership, which really enables our customers to seamlessly move their workloads from their private clouds through the network into the public cloud and they can run the same technology on either end. So we've had a lot of good announcements this week. There's a lot of great energy and we're very excited about what's going on. Chuck, the uh, fabulous interview with Diane Green from Google, um, Google Cloud. And what's interesting to me, and maybe you can explain this, is this is not what Cisco looked at five years, like five years ago. I think the, the buy side, so to speak, is still not caught up with what you're doing because you would not have sat down with Diane Green five years ago. Tell us about that partnership. Well, well, Diane Green might not have sat down with us five years ago, but we are, uh, you know, the thing is, is that what our customers are looking for is they're looking for the, the public cloud economics and the ability to actually have applications and write applications one time and then deploy them to any cloud. And what Google has pioneered is this Kubernetes open source platform that they have with Istio, and we're actually integrating that into our technology, allowing our customers to run that on-premise, but then also building the capabilities for those work, those applications to seamlessly move into Google Cloud if that's what our customer would like to do. And so the network plays a tremendous role with security, with policy, and actually allowing our customers to make that happen. And that's what we talked about this week. Right, well, on the last conference call, you're talking about the journey, as you mentioned. You're going toward more and more subscription. And if you looked at the deferred revenue, if you looked at what you're booking that's, that is not necessarily going to be this quarter's earnings, it's exploding. And yet people do not seem to see that you were on the same journey that Adobe was a couple of years ago. Can you help explain to people why they're not seeing what the subscription revenue really looks like? Well, Jim, we've, on every call, we've been giving uh, the metrics around how much of our software and subscription you know, deferred revenue is on the balance sheet. And it's been growing substantially over the last you know, 10 quarters. And so I think that that, in addition to understanding that as we rolled out the Catalyst 9000, and this is the first in an entire portfolio of refresh products that we'll be launching over the next couple of years, that you know, 25% of that business is in deferred in a subscription on top of a network switch, which we'd never been able to do before. And so I think that you know, we've had a very good run with the stock, and uh, I think that uh, you know, we, an- we announced guidance to your point, which was in line and also reflective of one of the fastest growth quarters we've seen in a few years. So we feel really good about where we are, and we feel great about the transition that we're driving in the company. It was a key day, May 1st, Chuck. It's a day where you announced the acquisition of a company 
privately held company. Uh, Amy okay. Chang runs it. Not the kind of acquisition typically I would have expected from old Cisco. And at the same time, you agreed to sell service provider video software solutions, which was very much what old Cisco looked like. I want you to describe the pivot using that met those two metaphors, because I don't think that a company like a company would have normally been under the Cisco fold. And I used to think that that video conferencing is being key to you guys. Well, I think if you just focus on a company, and Amy, who is a tremendous leader, she's got experience at Google, she was involved in the original creation of their ad business, so she un understands analytics. She's built this incredible platform at a company that has mass hundreds of millions of pieces of data that we saw as our collaboration portfolio continues to evolve, we see the opportunity to leverage her skills, her team skills, and the application platform they built to actually bring intelligence, so art, AI technologies, mm -hmm. data sets into our collab portfolio. So you can envision you know, experiencing a WebEx meeting with, with someone on the other end and receiving information about that individual in real time uh, that's available in public sources. So I think the modern software capabilities, the massive platform they built, the AI and data experience they have are gonna really take our collaboration portfolio to the future. All right, one last question. I've got to give you a chance to respond. We had Mark McLaughlin on last week. Of course, he's uh, uh, retiring and uh, Nikesh Aurora's coming in. But he said, you know, we took big, you're taking big contracts from Cisco and in security. Now, security has been a bulwark of what you've tried to introduce. I cannot let him say that without asking you whether you're taking business from him or whether you're really seeing him in the marketplace. Well, first of all, Mark's actually a good friend of mine, and I have a ton of respect for him as a human. He's a great guy. Um, listen, here's what's happening today. You have to be able to ingest threat information from endpoints, from the network, from email, from the cloud, and actually correlate that very dynamically and then defend automatically to actually solve the problem we're trying to solve in the future. And we're the only company that has that architecture, and we're the only guys that see 20 billion threats a day are enabled to correlate those in real time and actually defend across our entire customer base. And you know, we also have this Talos organization, which is phenomenal, that actually processes using machine learning and all those algorithms, these 20 billion threats. And they also were the guys who discovered the VPN filter uh, okay. you know, attack or threat just a few weeks ago. So I feel very good about our ability to compete over the next five to 10 years in security. All right, that's good. I always have to give you a chance to talk about that. Congratulations on a great meeting and some <laughs> really terrific presentations today. That's Chuck Robbins, Chairman CEO of Cisco. You want a cheap stock? Here it is, CSCO. May have money's back after the break. In a market that's been picking up steam for quite some time now, how do you know where it's safe to put your money to work? Let me put it this way. With the Dow Jones average up roughly 1,800 points since its March lows, I can perfectly understand why many investors might be hesitant to do much buying at these high levels. But you know what? I think that's a mistake. There's a lot to like about this environment. And more importantly, there are plenty of stocks that still haven't really run very much that I think are very good fundamentally. And that's why tonight we're going to try to match that with the charts. We're going off the charts with the help of Rob Marino. He is a brilliant technician. He happens to be my colleague at RealMoney.com, where I blog every day, as well as being the publisher of RightViewTrading.com. To highlight some of these names that have kind of been trading sideways, say, left behind, because he thinks that many of these could be ready to roar across a whole host of different eclectic 
eclectic sectors. That's right. We got a bunch of laggard stocks that could soon break out to higher levels. So what is Mariner like? Let's start with the daily chart of U.S. Steel. That's letter X for you, home gamers. You think that with the Trump administration hitting our allies with a big 25% steel tariff, rather than giving them exemptions like many people expected, an old-fashioned steel maker like this one would be roaring higher. You'd be wrong. Over the past couple of months, U.S. Steel has pretty much traded sideways. U.S. Steel's not my favorite in the group. You know that's Nucor. John Furriol, the CEO, has done such a great job. They're a low-cost producer. I think the world of them. But I'm kind of stunned that all of these stocks haven't done much at all, including Letter X. What's going on here? Moreno points out that U.S. Steel formed a triple top back in March, uh, which is always a bad sign. Uh, the stock then plunged down to its 200-day moving average. That's the line in blue, okay? That became a floor support, and then the stock bounced. But those old March levels it fell from became a new ceiling of resistance. All right? Bad. For days, U.S. Steel's now been grinding against that ceiling. See the grind? And now Marino thinks that the stock could be poised to break out to the upside. It's formed what's known as an ascending triangle. Uh, often those end with the stock in question shooting higher. Now, uh, up top, Marino's taken the moving average convergence divergence, or the MACD indicator, powerful momentum gauge that helps technicians predict changes in the stock's trajectory. And he's overlaid it on top of his storogram, a histogram of the oscillator. It's kind of a little complicated here, um, uh, which measures whether a stock has gotten overbought or oversold. The MACD made a bullish crossover, and you can see that right here, reflected right there, late last month. And the oscillator is still a long, long way from being overbought. Meaning U.S. Steel has plenty of room to run if you can just get us through that breakout that Moreno's expecting. But there's a fly in the ointment here, and it's the CMF, which is the chicken money flow. That measures the level of buying and selling pressure. It's a great way to tell what the big boys are doing. And in the case of U.S. Steel, the money flow remains negative. There's just not a lot of interest in the stock. But if it can rally just a dollar from these levels up to 38.50, we're going to have a breakout. And Randall thinks that a lot of the big money guys are going to jump in. I actually found this quite daunting. One of the reasons why I like Nucor so much is I wasn't focused on the shake and money flow. This, to me, is not as bullish as he thinks. I'm just passing it on. As far as I'm concerned, all of the American steel companies should have been higher by now. A 25% tariff on imported steel from just about everywhere means they can raise, domestic, raise prices domestically and take a lot of market share. So it's a bit of a quandary, but he thinks this one's ready to take off. All right, next up is one of my all-time favorites. It's Edwards Life Sciences. Here's the daily chart. Medical device maker that came up with that really amazing non-invasive heart valve replacement. You don't have to crack the chest cavity to get this one in. That's why people think it's so great. For years, this thing has been steadily working its way higher. It's been a monster. Uh, And the first quarter, quarter, the stock just exploded higher. Big. Lately, though, sideways action. But Moreno points out that while it's been consolidating, it's also made an inverse head and shoulders pattern. For those of you who don't remember, an inverse head and shoulders is not an upside-down bottle of shampoo. It's a formation that looks a lot, I'd say a little like an upside-down person, a head between two shoulders. And the important thing is that this one is one of the most reliably bullish patterns in the book. And speaking of the book, it was the one that I found was the most bullish of all the patterns I looked at over the years that we've been doing this segment. How does it work? Typically, you can measure the distance between the lowest lows, the head, to what's known as the neckline, the line that can Next the shoulders. In the case of Edwards, that's about 23 bucks, okay? Which means the stock could be poised to tackle on another 23 bucks once it breaks out above the neckline. Guess what it did just that yesterday, and now another 225 today. 
It's a nice little gain right there. You may think this stock is getting away from you. And a lot of people say, I missed it, I missed it. No, no, no. Based on the inverse head and shoulders pattern, Mariner thinks this thing could be headed to $166 before it runs out of steam. Meanwhile, the MACD indicator, it's looking real good, flying high. See that crossover? Taking money, folks. See, this is what I want to see versus U.S. Steel. Look how positive that is uh, at the end of April. Basically, the big institutions are buying this one hand over fist. After marking time for a couple of months, this looks like the next leg of Edwards' long-term rally happening right here, right now. 166 is next. You want another one? Okay, here's the daily chart of a stock that uh, of a company that really missed its tapestry. The apparel and accessories artist formerly known as Coach. Now, this stock got killed when the company reported a real disappointing quarter a month and a half ago. I was shocked, which sent the darn thing plummeting from 53 to 47 a single day. But Moreno believes the tapestry may have what it takes to really rebound here. Now the stock has begun to bounce. The key here is the accumulation distribution line, or the AD line, as we call it, okay? Um, it, it, it's another tool that helps you tell whether the big institutional investors are buying or selling. Moreno points out that the accumulation distribution line has now jumped above its 21-period uh, signal average, meaning the momentum here is really improving. See that? This suggests that investors are buying tapestry very aggressively. As Moreno sees it, if tapestry can rally two bucks from here, not far, two bucks, it will be sitting at the foot of the big gap lower from the last quarter. In his view, the chart abhors a vacuum, and he wouldn't be surprised if Tapestry can start filling in that gap, bouncing back to the $53 level. Given that Michael Kors, another high-end apparel and accessories play, reported a disappointing quarter not that long ago, saw the stock just get smashed and then rebounded hard. I think Marino's going to be dead right about tapestry. Finally, let's talk about the transports because, boy, they shine today. And we're specifically going to focus on FedEx, which my friend Stephanie Link talked about at halftime as being pretty terrific. And, boy, is she ever right. After moving sideways since the big early February breakdown, FedEx has finally broken out of its trading range. Based on the triangle pattern he sees here, Marino believes that the stock can climb to new highs. Triangle pattern. Uh, and this move reflects the broader pickup of the transports in general, and that we chose to highlight with this chart down here. Hey, by the way, and I think this is important. I've been spending a lot of time doing dividend analysis since the, uh, the, the tax, tax changes. FedEx gave you a substantial 30% dividend boost today. No one thought that was going to happen. That's a very good sign. Here's the bottom line. Just because the averages have run, that doesn't mean every stock has come up too far too fast, and you should just stop thinking that maybe there's something worth buying. The charts, as interpreted by Bob Moreno, show us that there are plenty of laggard companies ready to play catch up here. You just got to dig for them. Stick with Kramer. It is time. So for the late round, those are rough girls. One of those famous songs. We're going to have to say, and then the late rounds are. Are you ready? Skid down. Over the late round, we're going to start with Alan in Texas. Alan. Jim, thanks for all you do. I want to know about applied materials. Oh my, Gary Dickerson's so great, and so is Martin Nances at Land Research. I'm going to say that it's okay to buy here, but I can't pound the table. Let's go to Norman in Maryland. Norman. Hey, how are you doing, Jim? I'm I am good. Baltimore. I want to wish you a big Baltimore booyah. All right, but well, I'll take that. I've got that here. I got all base season for you. What do you got? Pardon me? What was the stock? Oh, CHK. Okay, well, natural gas is breaking out here, which means you get a chance to sell, 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 sell. Sell Chesapeake. I need Richard in Florida. Richard. Hi, Jim. Happy booyah from Miami. Done your way, partner. What's going on? 
Yeah, I was thinking, what are your thoughts on Shot Spotter and its uh, gunfire alerting system to police departments across the country? This one I am quite frankly not familiar with, and I'm gonna have to come back on a bit of a uh, homework asset there. Mike in New York, Mike. Hey Jim, a big booyah and go Bills from Buffalo, New York. I love the Bills. I like I, I like the B-Bass. They're from there. What's up? Hey, the shots been on fire last week. ENDP. What's the deal? Generic drugs. I'm starting to really. I, I can't. I, 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 I can't believe. I'm saying it. I like Milan. I like chemical <laughs> trades only. I need one more. I want to go to Sing. In my old home state of Pennsylvania, sing. Hey, Jim, uh, I have a question about JD, the Chinese e-commerce keep, company. Keep looking. Time. Don't stop, JD. Go Alibaba. I can't get people to buy Alibaba. What do I have to do? And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Sometimes it takes a little while for a new idea to catch on, but when it does, watch out. Just look at Teladoc, T-D-O-C, the world's largest virtual healthcare provider. We've been following this story for over a decade, ever since Teladoc was still a tiny startup. I've always thought it had an amazing concept. Let people have video conferences with their doctors. You shouldn't always have to go to the doctor's office to get a medical care. Hey, sometimes you get sick when you go to that office, too, let's face it. Not longer. Teladoc came public, 2015. The stock quickly went into free fall, plunging from the 30s to the single digits in a matter of months. Since then, though, it's been a rocket ship, a deserving one. Last year, Teladoc more than doubled. It's up more than 60% just for 2018. Now we're in a situation where the results are speaking for themselves. Plus, just last week, the company announced that it's buying a competitor, Advanced Medical, and its stock shot to new highs. Let's check in with Jason Gorovic. He's the CEO of Teladoc to learn more about this deal and his company's prospects. Mr. Gorfuck, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. How are you? Good to see you. All right, I got to tell you something. You should be very pleased by what I'm about to tell you. I posted in this morning on my Twitter file that what are people's experiences with Teladoc? I have no, no, most people are very critical on Twitter. There was not a single negative experience. It was just positive experience after positive experience after positive. What are you doing? You know, it's funny you say that. I used to run health plans. I got a lot of hate mail when I ran health plans. <laughs> well, I figured I'd get a lot of hate <laughs> you know? mail when I put your name up. Now I get fan mail. You now, do. Maybe not as much well, as tell you, tell me about I get that. I love this contrast. No, it's great. It's, uh, we're delivering care to people where they need it, when they need it, on their terms, right? And that's how the healthcare system should work. And it's nice. Consumers are understanding it. Payers are understanding it. Employers are understanding it. And we've been fortunate to be the beneficiary of that. One of the tweets was someone got sick in the car, pulled over, called, got a diagnosis. Can it be that simple? Oh, it really can. Yeah. I mean, you know, technology being what it is, we can now match a doctor with a patient in their jurisdiction where they're licensed, matched up with their specialty and take care of them in a matter of minutes. And, you know, look, people get sick not on regular schedules. Right. Right. Now, it is 24-7. Also, this new acquisition, to me, makes you the worldwide leader. That's exactly right. So um, if you rewind a year ago, we acquired Best Doctors. That gave us a full suite of Which were the Best Doctors from the nameplates, right? That's exactly right. (laughs) I'm sorry to mean to interrupt. I was very excited about that acquisition. And that really gave us a full scope of services ranging from coughs and colds and the flu all the way through chronic conditions, cardiac conditions, oncology. Advanced Medical had the same vision. They were doing it mostly outside the U.S. So this makes us the global leader and the only really comprehensive global 
virtual care provider. Total adjustable market now? It's massive. Uh, you know, in the U.S., we estimated at right around 60 billion using as many conservative estimates as we possibly can. You know, this really opens up the U.S. multinationals who have just as many or maybe half as many employees outside the U.S. Right. as they do in the U.S. And an ex-U.S. Uh, insurance market, which is just as large as the U.S. and growing at twice the rate. Where's Medicare Medicaid? So interestingly, the recent uh, Budget Reconciliation Act makes uh, it available, telehealth available for the Medicare Advantage plans. Those are the private Medicare right. plans uh, for the 2020 plan year. And we think that that's a precursor to open up the floodgates for the rest of Medicare and Medicaid. Now, President Trump is a business person. If he knew about Teladoc, wouldn't he just say, look, this is how we're going to cut out fat, not just these picking on some drug companies, which may, may deserve being picked on, but has he seen it? So the administration's very supportive of virtual care. Uh, we provide service for the federal employees as part of the federal employee benefit plan. Um, we're also uh, providing care for a segment of the TRICARE population, which is the military health care right. system. So I think the government really is taking notice, and they're very much behind uh, technology to revolutionize how health care is. What happens if you're a big enough health care provider, United Health, that they say, you know what, we're not going to give Teladoc all that money. We're going to do it ourselves. Yeah, so we provide service for about 2 million uh, members under United Healthcare, also for probably 8 million members for Aetna. Uh, we have a relationship with CVS. I think the, the nature of our technology, our clinical care model, our consumer engagement model, and the scale and breadth of our services makes it pretty tough for anybody to replicate. Okay, well, this is what intrigues me. I mean, you've got smart people, Warren Buffett, okay, uh, Jeff Bezos, uh, Jamie Dimon, and they're looking for ways to be able to save healthcare. Are any of those using Teladoc? Yeah, so Amazon actually is a client they of ours are. for their employees. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I why think, don't these other two guys just say, let's try Teladoc and save a fortune? That's an excellent question. I think, you know, that would be a great <laughs> question for Jamie Dimon the next I time. I will he's on put it show. to him. <laughs> uh, but, you know, honestly, because to me, and I know uh, there's a very famous TV doctor, I'm not going to say who it is, but he would say, look, look, Teladoc's a way to save money. And I figured that those guys had already tried Teladoc at JP Morgan and they just had, didn't find it to be satisfying. That's not the case. No, no, no. It's, this is definitely a wave. Uh, I think we're past the point of inevitability I think for so virtual too. care. Well, I got to tell you, you are um, you're visionary, and the acquisitions have been terrific, and I love what you're doing for the healthcare system. And I got, and a lot of that is suffused by the fact that every single person on Twitter said you guys are great. That's a fantastic achievement. That's Jason Gorvik. He's the CEO of Teladoc. Check my feed. You won't believe it. Everybody loves the thing. Mid Money's back into the break. I thought the government could win on something, and I got that wrong. It's a blowout win for ATT, and that is going to set in motion a lot more deals. So get ready. Hold your hats. We're probably going to go higher just on that. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.